one constant through all the years, Ray. Been Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. And welcome to the Beyond the Game program. I am Zach Barletta, the producer of this fine show. I'm sitting in for Rick Benson this week, but it was sort of a last-minute thing. He's uh, sort of literally swamped in his day job as the director of the Grace and Truth Sports Park. All the rain this week has really made his job very tough, tough to do. So he asked me at the last minute if I could uh, handle the show this week. So I'm doing what we like to call a best-of show. I've brought back some of my favorite interviews from the early years of this program. I think now that we've been on the air for four plus years, I could talk about the early years of the show, but um, I've got three great interviews for you today. First, there's a 2015 segment where Benson tells the story of how the show originated, how Beyond the Game came to be, and it's funny to hear him talk about it in 2015 that way, considering that there's been you know, more years of the show since then, and even then seems like a long time ago. Then after the first break, there's a, a 2016 interview with former world champion MMA fighter Chad Robichaux, now with the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation, who's helping soldiers who come home with PTSD. He's doing great things for them, and it's a really great interview. He's a really cool dude, and I think you'll enjoy it. Then last but not least, uh, there's a 2015 interview with former New York Yankees addiction intervention director Ron Dock. Ron has worked with such uh, athletes as Daryl Strawberry and, in fact, works for the Daryl Strawberry Recovery Center. It was a fascinating interview about a side of the game that you don't hear a lot about anymore. So I think you'll enjoy that in all of these interviews. So with that said, uh, you can get a hold of us on Facebook uh, at Beyond the Game Program. You can reach us on Twitter at BTG Program. We're on Instagram as well at BTG Program and, of course, btgprogram.com. Without further ado... Here's the first intervi- interview from 2015 where Benson tells how BTG came to be. The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownAndCountrySolutions.com. Fearing nothing but God. No. <laughs> no. Why isn't this an awkward moment? I think it was probably 10 years ago when Zach and I first started talking about the idea of a sports talk radio show that would would have a Christian perspective on things. We thought it'd be fun, might even be interesting. We knew it would challenge us to look at sports differently, to apply our faith, where oftentimes the two subjects are compartmentalized separately. You know, you often talk about sports or you talk about faith, but you're watching a game, you don't always think about it in terms of, your Christian faith. At least, at least I did. And this was going to be a challenge for us. We revisit the idea from time to time and until about two years ago. So I, I guess that was about eight years. We just kind of kicked it around, kicked it around, didn't do much with it. It was two years ago, right about this time, we started getting really serious about it. Got kind of, I guess we just got tired of just talking about what if and decided to go at it and sink or swim. We would have fun, and if nobody else in the world enjoy it, 
We knew we would. Pastor Shane was one of the first guys we shared the idea with. And while we anticipated his laughing at us, his response was really overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And then Darren came about, and he too supported the idea, and he's a moron. He actually wanted to be involved. He wanted to be involved in whatever capacity. He just wanted to be a part of seeing what could come of it. Of course, as I look back now, he probably just wanted a front row seat to the crash. Well, a few months later, we hit the air. It's about a year and a half ago, a little, little bit more. We wanted to strike a balance so that the program was not so heavily tilted to spiritual content that it came across as a preaching program. We wanted those who did not necessarily have a faith in Christ, that we wanted them to listen as well and enjoy the program. And who knows, maybe they would hear something which caused them to consider God in a way they never had before. But we also wanted to be faithful to why we were doing this in the first place. We wanted to give faith-based audiences a program that mixed sports and faith. It's a unique market. There are very, very, very few shows nationwide doing what we're doing. Well, several months after we hit the air, we were presented with an opportunity to move to 105.5, the team, and its three local radio stations. And I'll tell you, we couldn't be more pleased. We saw God's hand in that in a number of ways. We won't necessarily go into them here. We never set out to be world changers or major media stars. That was never the end game. It wasn't to translate into a job or, or to use this as a jump-off point. It was just to have a little fun and to mix sports and faith and, who knows, maybe encourage somebody. We never claimed that this program was anything more than what it is. And yet, from day one, believe it or not, we've been mocked. We've been accused of this thing or that thing. We've been scoffed, excused, dismissed. And yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes people can be cruel, and, and it did hurt. I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't lose any sleep over it. I didn't dwell on it, but it did hurt some. But that, that's not my point. That's not where I'm going with all this. But when even those within your common circles don't even care apart from labeling your efforts as foolish and silly, and, and they might be right, but aren't fellow believers in Christ supposed to be encouraging? To tell you the truth, we haven't come across that as much as I would have liked. Well, all that said, we persisted, because at the end of the day, there were only two that we wanted to please, God and ourselves. But then, of course, we knew that we could all count on our moms to love the show. They're always the biggest fans. And to tell you the truth, we have had fun, and we've been pleased. There have been a number of faithful fans who enjoy the program and have offered a great amount of encouragement. There's been a sponsor. We have a terrific title sponsor. They've made the whole thing possible and have supported us each and every step of the way. There's been those who, here, right here at the team, who have been so wonderful to work with and have also been a surprising source of encouragement to all of you. We can't express enough how thankful we are. But we believe God has been pleased because he has chosen to bless this labor. Our goal with each program is to have him guide our words our discussions, and to be glorified by, why he, by what he enables us to do. For we do it for no other reason but to honor our Lord and Savior. We've been up against it financially a few times, and yet always God provides for our needs. We believe it's because he's been pleased. And we know that when the word of God and its principles are shared, it's never in vain. God promises in Isaiah fifty-five eleven, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. And it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, 
and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when we're asked, how it's go- how's, how's it going? We may never really know until we're in heaven with him. Occasionally, we do hear from a listener. Some is negative, but honestly, most of it's been positive. And most people, when they comment, they're going to give you the negative. If they're going to comment on an online article or on a radio program, they're going to, they're going to throw the garbage at you. They're not going to necessarily give you all the positive. We appreciate those who've let us know that a segment spoken to them, encouraged them, or challenged them. So where am I going with all this? No, for you haters out there, we're not hanging it up. In fact, quite the contrary. We've been presented with opportunities to air this program on additional stations in new markets. What that means to me is that more people will hear when we talk about Jesus. And that's what matters most. As we consider these possibilities, we ran some numbers for our podcast. I want to share them with you. Keep in mind, though, that I'm not telling you this for our glory, but we tell you this for God's glory. We want to take a moment and praise Him for all that He has seen fit to do with guys like us. On Saturday, November 7th, we aired what was our 70th broadcast. Thanks again to all of you who have supported us over the first year and a half of the program. Whether you've prayed for us, helped spread the word, donated, advertised, whatever it is, we appreciate all that you've done to be part of this ministry of sharing Jesus through Sports Talk Radio. Without doing really much advertising or much promotion, really only using the help of social media and and people like you, God has allowed us to broadcast on three stations in the Rochester, New York area each week without any hindrance or resistance due to our faith-based content, and presented us with opportunities to be on even more. He's allowed us to move into and, and record in our own personal studio space, provided all the necessary equipment. In addition to the open-air radio broadcast, which reached countless thousands of people, the podcast has been averaging 48 listens a week, a number that, by the way, has been growing. Now, that number may not seem to be much to you, but consider that, as I said, that's without advertising, that's without much promotion. It means that nearly 50 people each week are either having the program sent directly to one of their devices or they're going to the Internet to hear it. They are investing an effort to hear the program. And what I think is the most remarkable thing, the program has now been played in 27 different countries, including a number where much of what we talk about is prohibited. So we'd like to invite you to join with us as we throw it in the face of all those who scoffed and dismissed us. I'm kidding, of course. But I do want to invite you to join with us as we praise and give thanks to God for His blessing. This program is not possible based on the available talent in this studio. It is truly a work of God. But I also want to ask you to pray with us as we look to the new markets, as the calendars change to 2016. Specifically, we're asking that you would pray for God's direction. Perhaps you could even spare a moment right now. Lift us up in prayer. We covet your prayers. We also want to mention these other prayer requests. Please pray that God's blessing on the content of each of these programs. As with most any radio program, the hearers are mainly anonymous and faceless, but God knows who they are, and he is able to use the show for his purpose and ultimately for his glory. Secondly, we're going to need additional sponsors and advertisers in these new markets, as as well as in the Rochester area. Please pray that they would be led to us or, or God would lead us to them. 
And finally, please pray that God would send us 30 new monthly supporters at $30 a month for one year. Oh yeah, here they go. They're going to talk about money. We rarely do this. But we are calling this our 30 at 30 campaign. We won't do it for very long. While we do have advertisers on our program, this show is mostly listener-supported. We're asking God to provide 30 supporters at $30 a month for just one year. You can go to our website, btgprogram.com. You can make a pledge there, or perhaps just give a one-time gift. And while you're lifting us up in prayer, perhaps ask God if he would have you be one of those 30 supporters for one year. Thanks to all of you for your support. It's been a fun ride. We're very, very much looking forward to what God will do down the road. We really just wanted to take this moment to say we could use your support. We thank you for the support you've given. And bless God. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've been able to do. And thanks to our title sponsor, Town & Country Pest Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com. Fearing nothing but God. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Barry Bonds never took steroids. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Don't ruin it by being an idiot. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. Have a high moral standard. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. How silly can you get you want to heckle blind people? That would make me soil my pants. Dude, wow. Welcome back to the show. Recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here is your host, Rick Benson. Joining us now is the president and founder of the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. He is also a former world champion MMA fighter. He's earned a PhD. He's an ordained pastor. He's a best-selling author. He's done eight tours of duty in Afghanistan. He was a Special Operations Force Recon Marine and a federal special agent with the U.S. Federal Air Marshal Service. And if that wasn't enough, he's been awarded the prestigious Medal of Valor. Chad Robocho joins us once again on Beyond the Game. Great to talk with you again, Chad. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me this morning. You're a former world champion. MMA fighter. And when you retired in 2013, you'd only lost two times. I imagine that was a rather difficult decision for someone who is such a fierce competitor like yourself. What led you to decide to retire from the sport you love so much? 
Yeah, you know, it it was a really difficult decision because at at the time I I chose to retire, it was it was really at my um kind of pinnacle of you know my opportunity to progress on and get better matches. And as a competitor, it's really never a good time to to uh re, you know to quit or retire because as a competitor, if you lose a fight, you uh, want to redeem yourself, and if you win, then the next big opportunity is there. So it, for me, it was a uh, you know it, it didn't feel like time to quit, but uh, my my work with uh veterans and my nonprofit work was growing so much at the time I had to make a choice and uh it's something bigger than myself and so I had to sacrifice that I thought I would have to sacrifice it completely but luckily I still get to be involved in the sport even though I'm not fighting professionally anymore well that is a remarkable decision to walk away when you know to do your nonprofit work but you as you say you still have a heart for competition and you currently compete in professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu bouts what's the difference between that and mixed martial arts and is your preparation for a grappling tournament different than it was for an MMA fight? Yeah, completely different. I mean, a professional MMA is of course, you know, punches, kicks, knees, everything. Uh you could do all the different strikes and things like that. In jiu-jitsu, you know, you have jiu-jitsu competitions like through the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation such as, you know, the World Championships, the Pan American uh Pan Ams and things like that. No. So I'll compete at those high level events at, black, at the black belt level but uh now you're seeing more uh these pro jiu-jitsu matches where they're, like, they're invitationals um they have one called ebi and metamorris and one of my favorites is i just got competed in it's called fight to win it's a pro jiu-jitsu match and they match it similar to an mma fight card where they'll take two of the you know better black belts uh and, and on the scene at the time and match them up just like a, a fight match so the training for it you're training for one person not a tournament and and it's a like one ten minute ten minute straight round, and uh, usually submission only, no points, but they'll still pick a winner. And uh, so last weekend I got to compete against you know one of the current uh, better black belts in the world, uh, Jeff Real, and he's a you know, he's a champion in jiu-jitsu as well, and and uh, had a great match. Uh, it was a good good test for me to see where I was still at in, in that scene, and uh, I got to get I got to win. Yeah, I was going to say you're being very humble. You 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 waited till the end there to to point out that you were victorious, but you you did get the win there. Do you get the same satisfaction? Do you get the same enjoyment out of BJJ that you get from MMA? Well, uh, to say like one of the things you had mentioned earlier, but the training, the training is different. And, and you're training for MMA, and you're you're training for multiple sports. You're training boxer. You're training as a kickboxer. You're training as a wrestler. You're training as jiu-jitsu. You're training all these different things. At one time, so it's very consuming. When you train for jujitsu, for me, I just uh, I do it because I love doing jujitsu. So it's, my work focus is a little bit different. I don't feel as pressured to train. I just show up, you know, one, one training session a day and and train jujitsu as anybody else would do. You know, any kind of physical activity once a day. So the pre- preparations, you know, it's much different. But uh, the reward is just the same. I, I, it's a lot more prestige in the MMA fight and winning, especially on a big televised MMA fight. But the joy of victory just it feels the same. I mean, you put a lot of hard work in. Your team, your teammates get behind you, and you train together every day. And so when you win, it's you know it. I, mean, I just came came off this win and felt really good uh, to to get out there and train hard and then compete and, and get get a victory. I understand you have three children. Do any of them take after you competing in combat and wrestling sports? Yeah, my. My daughter doesn't, she trained when she was younger, but now, uh, you know, she's older, she's 17, she doesn't, I think she stopped at about 13 years old. My two sons, however, have, you know, trained their whole life, I always 
I used to carry my boys in the infant carry and put them on the side of the mats. And one day they crawled out on the mats and they never got off. <laughs> and, uh, so they still train. My son Hayden is a he's a high school wrestler and he's um he just made the uh, California state dual team, which is you know really wrestling is very competitive to make those high level teams. It's pretty pretty a uh, pretty phenomenal accomplishment as a as a sophomore. You must be very proud. We're talking with Chad Robicho here on the Beyond the Game program. He is president and founder of Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. You can find out more about them, mightyoaksprograms.org. You can also follow Chad on Twitter, at Chad Robo. Among the many things you do, you work with military men and women struggling with the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Two years ago, when you were a guest on our program, you said that the daily suicide rate amongst veterans was something like 23 a day, and the divorce rate was a staggering number, around 80%. And those numbers are staggering. Have they changed at all since we last spoke? The most recent divorce rate has been closer to 90% now. And then uh, the suicide rate, what well, that 22 veterans a day in, in one active duty, but the, the flaw in that report is that that's only 21 states reporting. So we really don't know what the number is. But I can say that every time we get a group of 35 to 40 veterans and I ask them, you know, who here has lost a friend to suicide, you know, after Iraq or Afghanistan, every single one of them raise their hand. Mm. And that's not normal and, and that's not okay. And uh, so we've, we've had in our program, we've had 919 graduates and we deal with a really harsh demographic because we get active duty that's coming from you know, psych wards and wounded war battalions and different things like that. So we get all these guys that come in and we've had, we've had no suicide from any of our graduates and so that's something we're really proud of. But beyond suicide, these guys are doing just amazing things afterwards. I will say, though, on the, on the front end, we have a, a waiting list of you know 300 plus to come to our program. Far too many on our waiting list have taken their lives. In fact, about six mm. since uh, since January 1st that we're waiting to come to our program. So it's a very real issue: um, the depression, the anxiety, the after effects of you know coming home and and uh, stepping out of a life of purpose into a life of it feels hopeless, and, and uh, many guys struggle. I struggle. And um, and so we're just very blessed for the opportunity to come alongside of them and, and uh, reveal to them that there is a purpose. There is something to live for, and there is uh, important things still in this world for them to do. Chad, how hard is it on you personally to know that somebody waiting to get into your program takes their own life? How difficult is that to deal with? It, it, it's the probably most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Obviously, we you know, open the conversation tonight talking about why I would leave something that I worked my whole life for at the point that it's, you know, the pinnacle of it because you wouldn't, you wouldn't make a, a, a sacrifice like that in your personal life if it wasn't something that you were passionate about and believe was bigger than you and more important than you. And, you know, to walk away from MMA is a small piece compared to the things that, you know, me and my family, my family sacrificed to do this work because it is so difficult to uh, wake up every morning and know that the waiting list is just growing. Uh, on, for guys to come to your program, and it's bittersweet because you look at you know this this work that God has allowed us to do. And when I say it's bittersweet, I mean because we've always hoped that we'd become like a a beacon of hope. Our organization would be like a place that people would come and say, "Wow, there is hope. There is a place to get help." And now that's happened, and there's a line that we we can't uh, you know meet everybody's needs. So it's a, it's a it is a very big struggle for me every day. Um, you know, I push my staff <laughs> to. Uh, to do everything we can to try to do the best job we can to get the right guys in. You know, I travel a tremendous. I mean, I'm going to Rochester this week and I'm going to share my story and speak to everyone and encourage everyone that's in front of me, but I'm also going to raise funds to get guys into the program. 
you mentioned it and we'll mention it a couple other times, but you will be in Rochester this coming Wednesday night. You'll be speaking uh, May 18th, 7 p.m., First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton. So I want to invite the listeners to come out and say hello to Chad and hear this great man speak. Uh, you mentioned that you yourself fought through PTSD after eight tours of duty. Uh, can you talk a little about the toll that that took on your family and how you were able to overcome that? You know, I, I wouldn't say it's anything that happened like at one specific time for me. For me, it was just a, each deployment, each time uh, I would go to you know overseas and come home. You know, I, I became a little more distant from my family, a little more of a, I'd say, a frustrated person because I was uh, anger. What probably wasn't the first symptom. It was just a high intense work environment that I carried over. Can't work at that pace, and then Afghanistan, I come home and be the the Brady Bunch family, and and uh, I mean, it just wasn't uh, something that I was able to do. So I came home and carried home a lot of anxiety and high stress, like that high stress work environment home. And, and, uh, I realized that. And, and so that me wanting to protect my family from that, I kind of created a distance between me and them. And, uh, that, that anger and frustration over time, over a four year period just turned into anxiety and, um, and a, a overwhelming sense of, uh, physiological symptoms that started to manifest, which was, you know, my arms started going numb, my face started going numb, I feel like my throat was swollen shut. And I didn't know what it was at the time. It was the onset of panic attacks. And uh, and I didn't say anything about it because uh, in fear of, you know, it was the special operations unit and fear of being, you know, viewed as weak or incapable. And so I just kind of tried to keep it to myself and, and eventually, you know, I had to complete, you know, breakdown and uh, I just made your panic attack and at this point in my point in my time overseas, I didn't even remember about two weeks of my my deployment, and I came home and was diagnosed with PTSD. And uh, for me and my wife, we had no idea uh, anything about it. And now there's a lot of information out, but this was in April of 2007. Being a special operations community, I just uh, I never knew what PTSD was, or knew what it knew what this post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and I hate that word disordered because it's it, you know completely inappropriate term for what actually happens to your body but uh you know it was it was something real that we faced and struggled with and and um i went from being angry and in high pace to being scared and feeling broken and scared my wife and we didn't know you know what else to do the doctor and counselor um they put me on medications to numb those symptoms and and uh it's a very sad thing to know you know in dealing with other veterans to see that that's the solution that the va and oftentimes unfortunately the military clinicians do is they, you know, give tons of medications. We guess we see guys that pump 30 pills a day at times for PTSD, and, and these medications actually do numb, and they numb to the point to where you know, guys don't feel anxiety about anything, about killing themselves, about destroying their families, about anything because they can't feel. So in that in that state, you know, it only made the situation worse for me. One of the things I had done my whole life, though, is you know, I'd done you know, wrestling and martial arts. I'd already fought professionally, so for me, it seemed like an easy transition is. Get you know my doctor and my con- and uh, my wife really encouraged me to get out there and, and do that. And when I got on the wrestling mats, uh, I really felt like I'd found the cure. Because if anybody's ever wrestled before, when you're on those mats, your your mind can't think of anything else. You have to think of what you're doing at that time. So that brings a, a moment of clarity and and a detachment. So I felt like, wow, you know, this is perfect. I I, I get on these mats and I wrestle and I don't feel any anxiety. I can unplug. And honestly, that was good for me. It still is good for me to do that. But at that time, I took something that was good for me, like a medicine you could have for a cold, and and I abused it. And I would spend 10, 12 hours a day on those wrestling mats, 
not dealing with the things I needed to deal with and continuing to distance my family. My home became a very, uh, not really a, a home. My family was, my wife and children were scared of me. I was very angry. And eventually my wife and I separated in our own home. And, uh, I, I stepped out of our, our marriage and their relationship with other, other women. And we ended up separating and facing divorce. We sold our home, moved in two separate homes, devastated our, our children because our, we do have such a close family, always have. So it just devastated them. And that led me to probably my lowest point because that time alone allowed me to realize that all these things I blamed everything on, you know, my dad for the way he, you know, for the dysfunctional way I was raised and my time in the military and my wife for not understanding because she couldn't possibly understand, you know, all these people I blame things on. And I came to the realization that it was me, that I was responsible for the situation that I was in and what had put my family through. And that, that's it. That realization should have led me to fixing things, but it didn't. It led me to the realization that I'm the problem. I need to remove myself from the situation. So I wouldn't say I became suicidal because I went to escape my pain. It was because I looked at my family, who I did love, and I wanted to remove myself from the equation because I was the problem. And uh, and so I became suicidal, and I started trying to contemplate how I was going to do it to the point to where I sit in my closet every day with a pistol and trying to think, you know, who's going to clean this up? Who's going to find me? But I heard a statistic recently before that that one in three children will take their life from a parent that commits suicide. And so that that kept me from from doing from doing it from pulling the trigger and mm. and I'm um, thankful for that and that was kind of a I wouldn't say a turning point the turning point was you know at that moment at that time when my wife came to me with the final she had divorce papers they were all signed and and before she had gave them to me she said she, she just wanted to know for her you know how I could uh had been successful in the military you know she see me become you know four three time marine all the training the the deployment workups. She see me do all these crazy fights, like fighting in Strike Force and Bellator and these these big fights and all the work that would go into that and cutting weight and all these things. She's like, how could you do all that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. And that question, that challenge just radically impacted me at that mm-hmm. moment in my life. I, I knew at that moment that I had, that it, you know, I was wrong. I, I quit on the most important things in my life, my health, my faith in God, my uh, role as a husband, role as a father. And I just knew I had to. I had to do something about it, and I had to make a decision to turn it around. And uh, so I made a decision then that I was going to uh, repair the damage and, and turn it around, and I did. Now, Kathy often speaks at the same events you do, and the two of you work very closely together in your ministry. To think that at one time your marriage was in such jeopardy, and what is it, how cool is it for you to work with her so closely in the ministry? It's broken full closure. I mean, our, our marriage has been through through a lot. I mean, we... I mean, everything I talked about was really a snapshot, and it's the depth of, of things like that are you know, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal. You know, a lot, on, on my part, too, I mean, you know, she would say it, but for me, it's like, you know, at the time, I felt like I, I, I drained Kathy empty, so she had nothing left to give to me um, because she, she tried to so hard for me. But in my perspective at that time, and it's not right, but I felt like, you know, I was married to a wife who wasn't supporting me. So there was, there was just so much hurt between both of us. And I think doing the ministry now, helping other couples, uh, particularly writing our book, the Marriage Advance book that we wrote, um, it just brought us to a level to really examine all that and go through all that, uh, the hurt, the pain, the betrayal, and just look at it and, 
and and actually understand why it happened. And uh, but more importantly, how the enemy meant to destroy us. And when I say the enemy, I meant you know the devil meant to steal and destroy our marriage, and how God re- restored it because that was the that was the key part of our restoration was the restoration of our faith and understanding how to be the men, how to be the women, how to be the the marriage that God intended, and aligning our marriage to that through the restoration of our faith, which is the biggest part of my healing and our marriage's healing. And then seeing that on the other side, the damage, the restoration, and what it looks like, and using it as a tool to point others to the, to the same path, and that's what we get to do in our ministry together. And so it's just so rewarding. While you never want to you know, go through anything like that again, it actually brings some validation to, okay, if it could be used to help other people, then, then it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it to go through. And, uh, and, and we've, we've been just very fortunate to get to, you know, help a lot of other people struggling with the exact same things that we struggle with. Your faith is obviously very important to you. Can you share with us how you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, as a teenager, the first time that, uh, you know, 14 years old, um, my, my brother was, was shot and killed. He was a year older than me, and he was the closest person in my life at that time. And so I was in a real deep depression, and uh, I had a friend. Uh, his family was a really strong Christian family, and I would always go. They really kind of scooped me up during this time in my life, and they took me to a church. And I remember uh, this moment where the pastor gave that opportunity to go and you know say a prayer and give your life to Christ. And, and me and my two friends like ran up and, and did that, and I was so enthusiastic. And, uh, and I believe it was real, but there was never any follow-up. There was never any mentorship, discipleship, anything like that. And so even though I believe I did that at a young age, there was no one that came alongside me. It was just like a, a moment for everyone else to clap, but there was no, again, there was no mentorship or discipleship beyond that. So, you know, the, the world, the Marine Corps, <laughs> everything else, you know, took me away from that decision and, uh, my own inability to follow up with what that meant. And so after, you know, fast forward, you know, all these years later, uh, unfortunately, all these years later that I'll have to live a life without the discipleship, when Kathy gave me that challenge to, to turn around and fight for our family, I, I knew I, didn't, I couldn't do it on, by myself. And so I said, I need some accountability to do this. And it wasn't a faith-based decision at the time. It was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, meet this challenge Kathy gave me. I'm going to fight for our family. But knowing I couldn't do it by myself, I wanted someone to help me hold me accountable. And I looked at my circle of influence and I had like a thousand students and I was fighting and everyone was kind of lifting me up and telling me what I wanted to hear. I didn't have anyone tell me what I needed to hear. I didn't have anybody hold me accountable. So I had to ask Kathy, who had been in this church, just praying for me. Can you find a man in your church that would come alongside me and help me do this? And she introduced me to this guy named Steve Tills. And, and Steve, you know, asked me what I was going to do. And I told him about this plan that I had to put my life back together. And he said, you're going to fail. And the reason you're going to fail is because it has nothing to do with restoring your relationship with Christ. And, uh, and so at that moment, I, I trusted him. And not only did he, he reintroduce me to my relationship with Christ, but he walked me through a year-long uh, mentorship process of biblical manhood. What I discovered at the end of this year was that when I had tried all the pills, all the counseling, as much as I love jiu-jitsu, all the time in jiu-jitsu, all these things that I had tried, nothing worked to heal my anxiety my depression, my lack of worth, my loss of purpose, all those things that, that PTSD and my, experience, my experiences from childhood and Afghanistan had brought in my life. None of these things that were able to heal me, but when I simply 
align my life, made a choice to align my life with the life that God intended me to live, be the man that he created me to be, all those things that went away. Uh, I, I was, you know, I, I didn't have the anger anymore. I didn't have the anxiety. I didn't have the the struggles that I had. They were going away. I still had struggles, but it was different. I was able to have something to calibrate my life to and, and make decisions based off of. And that, to me, was like uh, the only way I, I, I'm capable of explaining how I felt when I discovered that was like if I had stage four terminal cancer and was dying and somebody gave me the cure, I felt like I had to share it. Mm. And, uh, and I knew that, that, uh, all these other veterans were taking their life and these other families were divorcing and, uh, and I'm sitting here with the cure and I had to, I had to share it. And, uh, that's why we started my yokes. If I could pay it, if I was able to pay it forward to one person, what the challenge that Kathy gave me, the mentorship that Steve gave me and the second chance of God's grace that I had, um, that I had to do that. And, and, uh, been privileged and I want to share it with one, but with many. And, uh, and I'm planning to continue to do that for the rest of my life. Well, that's a very impactful story. Great story. I can't wait to hear more about uh, you and your ministry Wednesday night at First Bible Baptist Church, 7 p.m. Uh, Chad, I want to thank you for coming on the program once again, and I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys. And uh, Thanks for having me on today. That's Chad Robicho here with us on the Beyond the Game program. If you missed it, check this out. Chad is a former world champion MMA fighter. He earned a PhD. He's an ordained pastor. He's a best-selling author. He served eight tours of duty in Afghanistan. He was a Special Operations Force Recon Marine, a federal special agent with the U.S. Air Marshal Service, and is a Medal of Valor recipient. I know it was a long interview, and you, as, as a producer, you're, you're probably hating me for it, but... <laughs> No, he's such an interesting guy. He's done so many impressive things, and you just want to talk to him a little bit about all of it because he's he's really an impressive individual. And Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country, Pest Solutions. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. The Beyond the Game program is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownAndCountrySolutions.com. Fearing nothing but God. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Ron Dock has been the intervention coordinator for the New York Yankees for the past 17 years before recently stepping down. He also works for the Daryl Strawberry Recovery Center. In fact, is a co-founder of the Daryl Strawberry Recovery Center. Ron himself is celebrating 23 years in recovery and has dedicated his life to helping others struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Welcome to the program, Ron. It is truly a great honor to speak with you, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. After working with such stars as Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, and others, why now? Why is this the right time for you to step down from the Yankees? 
good question. Um, I gave them uh, 17 great years. I had a blast with the Yankee organization. Uh, and it was just, you know, I just felt spiritually it was a time to go. There's nothing else I can do here. I wanted to do some different things, uh, such as working with the Dallas Strawberry Recovery Center here in St. Cloud, uh, Florida. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life to work with one of the greatest teams on the planet, the New York Yankees. Thanks to the visioner, the vision, excuse me, of, uh, George Steinbrenner and, uh, Mark Newman, who was a uh, vice president of, uh, player development at the time, who had this vision to help players get back into their workforce instead of, you know, sitting them down or, you know, ostracizing them, but to get them the treatment they needed and to get them back on the field. Not just the players, the staff too. You know, I was there for the whole organization. I understand that your own addiction led you to being homeless for a number of years. What is it that made you decide at that time to get your life back on track? Very good question. Um, I was 17, I went into the Marine Corps, and the day I turned 18, I went into Vietnam, and uh, over there I was traumatized, and um, I was introduced into opiates and alcohol, and I brought that addiction on with me. And I ran with that addiction for uh, the next quite a few years, as a matter of fact, until 19, uh, October 5th, 1992. What had happened, um, I became homeless. I worked for New York City Sanitation Department. I couldn't keep a job because I'd rather get high. I lost my wife, my kids, and uh, was beaten down to the point of suicide, being locked up by the police. You know, I did some time in jail for, you know, uh, drug charges. And I just got tired of life, and um, it was either uh, that or die. And I thought I was going to die. So I had to surrender. And by the grace of God, I did. I will never forget the day that I did surrender. It was uh, a spiritual awakening for me. And I've been on the right track ever since. And uh, one of the greatest gifts I have, because I asked God, why did he pick me? And that's the character message. Yes, all he wants me to do is to help the next person. 23 years later, you have a successful marriage. You're well-respected in your field. And as a native of the Bronx, you've gotten to work with the New York Yankees. Now, I know it's not all been a fairy tale. I'm certain there has been plenty of struggles along the way. What has been your key to success in avoiding temptations that could potentially lead to a relapse? Good question. Uh, number one, being very humble and uh, never forgetting that last high, how I felt inside that desperation. You know, that uh, despair, you know, uh, the humiliation I uh, brought upon my family. I still go to 12-step meetings on a regular basis. I surround myself with people that are not using. You know, I don't have drugs in my house. My wife, who's an angel, she's extremely supportive. My mother, by the grace of God, will be turning 95 in January. Oh, amen. And, amen, yeah. And I honestly believe watching me recover and yeah, doing the thing I'm doing has really enriched her life because I'm a triplet. Uh, two of them OD. One at 19 years old in my mother's bathtub. My mother found them with a needle on them. Mm. The other one, um, I had a year and a half sober. He hung himself because he couldn't uh, come to grips with his alcoholism. And my third brother, uh, three years ago, died of a kidney failure because he had a kidney form, but he would not stop smoking marijuana and drinking. So they're not going to give a kidney to someone that's actively using. I do have a huge family um, history with substance abuse. But these um, situations are the reason why I stay clean. I stay very, very active in my recovery. I surround myself with the best people. And um, it's been working for 23 years.
moment at a time sometimes. That, trust me, sometimes I feel like drinking or drugging because life is not going my way, which I think it should. And what I do is play that tape all the way back in my head. You know, I see myself picking up that first drink and uh, the end result would be jails, institutions, or death. You've been quoted as saying that you're a man restored by God, and of course our show is a faith-based program. Can you elaborate a little what you mean by a man restored by God, and maybe share where you've experienced his hand in your life? Yes, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that question. I am restored by God. I remember the day that I turned my life around and gave my uh, life to God. I knew at that time I was going to be okay. I was going to be saving. He had his arms around me. That day came. I had three days sober, and a gentleman came into the rehab I was in and read the uh, poem of the footprints. And uh, all this time that I thought I was alone, that I was being beaten down, that I was being left behind that whole time, uh, God was carrying me the whole way. Mm. And that spiritual awakening just, you know, you know, just turned my life around. And uh, I've been in the middle of the boat ever since. And um, this is what I do now. I just get back. You know, I have my own way of ministering. I'm not a minister, don't get me wrong, but everybody has their calling. My calling is to uh, service uh, addicts and alcoholics who are suffering, you know, and that's my anointing, and that's what I'm good at. I'm restored by grace. You know, I'm here by grace. You know, I, I celebrate sometimes. I'm in the bonus round, but uh, and God is not done with me. That's why I'm still here. So I'm just doing his will on a daily basis. We're talking with Ron Doc here on the Beyond the Game program. Ron is an interventionist with the Daryl Strawberry Recovering Center. He spent 17 years as such with the New York Yankees. And you can learn more about Ron and all that he does at starsaresober.com. That's the letter R, starsaresober.com. Ron, when Dwight Gooden was making his comeback with the Yankees, there was a time that fatigue became a source of speculation out of, after a relatively short outing. Yet as the account goes, you dismissed that rather humorously by saying, what are you doing being fatigued if you only pitch every seven days? But you also said that he wasn't spiritually grounded anymore. His arm was dead because he was spiritually dead. How big a role does or perhaps can faith play in recovering from an addiction? You know, uh, recovery is uh, spiritually based all the way. If you don't get your spirituality back, you're, you know, doomed to fail. And that was one of the uh, last things that came back to me because, like I said, I was angry. I was, why did you take me to Vietnam? You know, why my father left? But until I got, you know, really real with myself and, and let God in, that's when the uh, dramatic change in my life uh, started to occur. Dwight Gooden, you know, that's a, a different uh, situation, and I'm praying for him every day. He's doing good just for today. You know, that's all we have is right now. And I really don't want to, you know, discuss his uh, uh, walk with God because I feel that's for him to discuss. Sure. And uh, But, uh, you know, we all pray for him. Daryl and I, we pray on a daily basis for everybody, and, Dar- and Dwight is definitely not for it. Yankees outfielder Slade Heathcock credits you with having a role in his recovery and specifically for connecting him with Sam Marcinek, another one-time Yankee who overcame addiction. Sam and I have been part of the same missions trips, and I know faith plays a big part in his life. Were you involved in helping Sam in his recovery? Uh, yes, early on, and Sam used to scare me, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Sam used to be one rough gentleman, you know, real hostile, 
real angry. And matter of fact, I really didn't think he stood a chance because that's how uh, out there he was, you know. And um, he went down to Dominican Republic one day and uh, was uh, John Zeller, who's a pastor here in Tampa. See, that day he was saved and he became a new creature, man. And, like, I, I love him to death. He's got a beautiful ministry going. He's giving back, giving back, giving back. But, yes, uh, and, again, Slade Heacock, that was another one I thought would probably lose his career, wind up in jail or dead. That's how wild he was. But um, I had an idea, and I called Sam. And without thinking, Sam came to my office and said, where is he? I put him with uh, Slade Heacock, and the rest is history. Uh, he found God, and uh, he's ministering to kids. He has a great little ministry going himself, uh, Slade. And I love him to death. I call him my stepson. You know, when you see these success stories come out, with many are called to recovery, but very, very few are chosen. And I honestly believe, and I told Slade, uh, you've been anointed, you've been called to do a service, and it's not baseball. That's going to be your stepping stone. I used to tell that to Daryl. Uh, I told Daryl when he was in the of his addiction that he's going to do God's will alive or dead. But either way, you're going to be, you're going to be your minister. And he's one of the greatest ministers I, I know right now. He, he gives back unselfishly every day, every day. One of the most humble human beings I've ever met was Al Strawberry. Oh, that's great to hear. Ron, you're, as you said earlier, your work with the Yankees wasn't just with star ball players, nor is your work always with substance addiction issues. In fact, from what I understand, addiction is the smaller percentage of your workload. You've also assisted in family situations, legal issues, even depression. Can such struggles with non-substance issues be early warning signs or red flags that could potentially lead to or trigger substance abuse issues? Absolutely. If you don't deal with what's going on at that time or, or dealing with what's going on with inside you, you there is a potential of masking that or medicating it or running away from it. And the first thing a person would do is pick up a drink, a drug, or something to uh, change the way they feel. This was uh, one of my cornerstones of uh, helping the organization. That's what, to me, intervention meant. If a, a player or staff member comes to me, hey, listen, you know, I feel like quitting because my girlfriend's home pregnant. You know, that's enough to make someone they're not strong enough drink or do something, you know, uh, that's going to be uh, detrimental to their careers. Or grief. You know, we've had I've had uh, coaches who lost their uh, family members, their sons, their, you know, one coach lost his son, and that was a potential for anything to happen. You know, if they didn't, you know, get a handle on it. But um, if they don't deal with it right away, yes, that's what intermission is. Ron, is there anything we can pray about for you? Yes, uh, you can pray for my loving mother, who's 95 years old. You know that she uh, continues with health, well, good, good health, and um, you know, for the next person uh, that they find recovery. Of course, we're in a dark time right now. There's an epidemic of heroin, and uh, the young people are really falling. But we losing people every day to uh, death, ODs, also, especially the heroin that's coming out here right now. All right, will do. I want to thank you, Bart, Amen. for Amen. coming by the program, spending time with us today. It's it's really been a real privilege to talk with you. Thank you very much for having me. That's Ron Dock of the Daryl Strawberry Recovery Center. He spent 17 years with the New York Yankees as an intervention coordinator. You can learn more about Ron, starsrsober.com. That's the letter R, starsrsober.com. 
We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country, Best Solutions. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network. More than a game. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Zach Barletta here to wrap up the show, filling in for Rick Benson today on this best of edition of the Beyond the Game program. Just a reminder that you can find us at BTG Program on Twitter and Instagram. We're uh, at Beyond the Game Program on Facebook. And of course at BTGProgram.com where you can find old episodes, clips from shows, some information about us, I think some handsome photos of us, uh, things of that nature. Before I go, we'd like to uh, do the one last segment that's a staple of this program called You Like That, where we sort of give a, a story from the last week in sports that we really liked that is uh, that allows us to end the show on a positive note. The thing I liked this week was from Sunday, from Mother's Day, where Dodgers outfielder Yasiel Puig, had uh, his mother had asked him to hit a home run for her on Mother's Day. He told her he would do it, and then he delivered. So Yasiel Puig hitting a home run for his mom on Mother's Day, as he had promised he would do. It's what I liked this week. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. Be great. We'll see you next time.